0: Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all of the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. While I've got your attention, I'm really excited to announce that Covered Press is now offering its journalist story management software for free for the first 500 journalists who sign up. As a journalist, I know how difficult it can be keeping track of all my stories, invoices, and communications with editors. Covered Press streamlines the whole journalism process and keeps you organized. Sign up at CoveredPress.com today to get one of the 500 free spots available. And now, enjoy our podcast. Original enterprise reporting
1: that really gets into an issue, you need time. And, a lot of, and these days, frankly, a lot of journalists, they're asked to produce stories every day. You know, they're, they're on a beat and... You know, it's hard to get that that time and those resources to do the job properly.
0: This week's guest shares tips and resources to help journalists covering some of the most complex environmental stories of the day, including climate change. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. The mission of Earth Journalism Network is to enable journalists from developing countries to cover the environment more effectively. James Fawn is the executive director of EJN, which is partnering with the Scotsman during this year's climate change conference in Glasgow. James, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you,
1: Michael. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. I was looking at your, your bio. You're a journalist with some street cred, uh, I guess, <laughs> in the environmental world. So how did you get interested interest in journalism and in, in environmental journalism in particular?
1: I guess we have to go way back to the start of my career as a journalist back in 1990. Got my start at a newspaper in Bangkok, Thailand. I was hired to be their science and technology editor. I actually, coming out of college, I was a science major. I'd studied actually astrophysics of all things. But I had worked on my college newspaper. And so it was great to be hired by this newspaper to basically run their science and technology section, which was a weekly section like we have here in, in the U.S., and you know, living in in Bangkok in the 1990s, I mean, you're immediately hit by every single environmental problem you can think of, from air pollution to water pollution to wildlife trafficking to water supply issues, illegal logging, illegal dumping, uh, everything, everything you can think of. It was a very exciting time to be in Southeast Asia. The country and the region as a whole was growing, it was opening up. There's a lot of energy, but you know, I was just struck by all of these environmental problems, you know, that I felt like, you know, why did they have to happen? Couldn't we plan a way around them with just some more foresight and careful policies? You know, so my interest really is and has always been in kind of where science meets society and so environment was perfect for that and as I continued after a couple years I I really kind of moved on to covering environment pretty much full-time. I became the environment editor for my newspaper it's called The Nation it's not The Nation that folks (laughs) may be familiar with here in the U.S. but there are actually many newspapers called The Nation around the world so this is the one from Thailand and it was a great newspaper, very kind of, you know, outspoken. And they empowered me basically to set up an environment desk. We had a team of as many as five reporters covering environmental issues and natural resource issues all around the region. We did a bunch of investigative stories uncovering illegal logging and and smuggling from, from Myanmar into Thailand and hotel investors encroaching on national parks and oil companies dumping mercury in the Gulf of Thailand. That was one of my biggest investigations, and on and on. And it's a great, great job. I learned so much and did that essentially for nine years, also helped produce a weekly feature program about the environment on Thai television. So that is really how I got into this business. And I could really see firsthand the kind of impact that environmental media can have on the public and on policies and just so many examples of the way we're able to, you know, in our admittedly small way, but to make it a change for the better.
0: So how'd you end up at the Earth Journalism Network? And, and uh, while you're talking about it, why don't you tell us a little a bit about the em- mission of the network?
1: Sure. So I uh, returned to the U.S. in, in 1999. I uh, went to graduate school. I wrote a book called A Land on Fire, uh, about kind of all the issues I covered and ventures I had as an investigative journalist in Southeast Asia. Um, And then worked for a couple of years at the Ford Foundation, where I learned about the whole nonprofit world and how how that is funded. And in 2004, Internews uh, was looking for someone to head up their environmental media program. Now, Internews, if you're not familiar, is a global media development organization. We support independent press all around the world. We do that so many different ways in so many different places. But I was hired to set up an environmental media program, which I did, and which we call the Earth Journalism Network. Um, and we call it that because it was it's more than just an implementing agency. So we certainly do a lot of media development projects which I will happily talk about and how we how we help journalists to improve their coverage of the environment and climate change. But we're also professional association now of over 14,000 journalists from over 180 countries around the world. So I should mention we're not no longer just working in developing countries. We uh, increasingly work in Europe and to a certain extent in the US, even in Japan nowadays. So still the the, the bulk of our work is certainly in low and middle income countries. So I don't want to misrepresent that, but it really is a global organization at this point and there's a global need for it. So a couple of things. So our mission from the start was essentially to improve the quantity and quality of environmental coverage and climate coverage by enabling and empowering journalists to carry out better reporting we do that in a in a bunch of ways but maybe i'll stop there and see if you have any questions Yeah.
0: yeah you talk about this being a professional organization is this is this something where people can go to sort of you know discuss ideas you know are there resources available to help them you know maybe get like funding or you know positions or places where they they can you know sell stories about environmental journalism is it you know, is it training or is it just trying to sort of share, I don't know, points of view or or resources about what's going on in the, the environment?
1: Yeah, I should mention, so one of the reasons we set it up as a network is when I was in Thailand, one of the things I did was help set up the Thai Society of Environmental Journalists and kind of modeled this after the U.S. Society of Environmental Journalists, which you might be familiar with which is a professional association in its own right, a fine one. And what I saw in Thailand, what we were able to do there was a couple of things. First of all, we could do a lot of peer-to-peer learning. We held our own seminars and workshops and field trips and things to to learn more about the issues we're covering and also about how to communicate those issues, which is quite a skill in its own right. But also we found strength in numbers. You know, sometimes as an individual journalist, It's hard to get information. You know, when I would ask the uh, minister of industry why he allowed oil companies to dump harmful chemicals into the Gulf of Thailand, he ignored me. But when we had a group of journalists representing much of the country's media pose that question, well, you better believe he answered. So there is strength in numbers. And we realized that setting this up as a network, we could do so much together more than we could on our own. So that's one of the key strengths I think we have. And one of the things we do is help set up local and national networks of environmental journalists. We've done that, for instance, in the Philippines and in Indonesia and in Mexico. We're doing it right now. In Ecuador, we've done it in many, several countries around the world. And there are, are many existing networks out there, of course, and we we help them too. So how do we help these networks, and also the individual journalists. We do that in a bunch of ways. So yes, we provide resources. You go to our website, you'll find lots of documents about explaining different topics and not just the topics themselves, but how do you cover it? How do you approach it as a journalist? What questions should you be asking? What other resources are out there? We also do a lot of training and capacity building. We've trained, I think, well over 12,000 journalists at this point on all kinds of environmental topics, climate change, biodiversity, the ocean, uh, forests, fisheries, environmental health. Now we're doing zoonotic diseases. We're open to pretty much any topic. And we also do mentoring one-on-one individual, you know, working with individual journalists. So capacity building, that's kind of one of our main pillars. But another is content production. So we give direct support to journalists and to media outlets and to other organizations to produce content that is, you know, factual, science-based, accurate about environmental topics and in all different types of media, whether it's print, TV, online, radio, you know, journalists can access this support in a variety of ways. The main way is through story grants. I think, you know, I like to think we're one of the pioneers in actually giving out, individual grants to individual journalists to do stories and we have a whole process where they pitch to us and we have a selection process and a panel of judges and and our goal which is maybe well I don't know if it's unique but I think again we we kind of help lead the way here is but we don't set ourselves up as a news agency in our own right we believe in getting these stories into the local media that's where we think it has the most impact if it's in the local language Produced by journalists who understand the local context and the local sensitivities, and we have so many examples of of great stories they've produced and the impacts they've had, which I can talk about more. But we do then take copies of the stories, we post it on our web, own website and through our social media channels, so we can distribute it more widely. But again, the main goal is to get this these stories out into the local media where we think it has the most impact
0: getting a story down to the local level i mean are the types of stories that that are successful in that approach obviously climate change is affecting everyone and there's a global story but there are also lo- local stories do you look for areas where there are particular problems that you want to target you know maybe local laws about pollution or other issues and then sort of try to tell the bigger story, or link the local story to this this larger conversation around climate change or other issues like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is really the whole key. We believe to making these topics more accessible is finding ways to turn these huge global issues, the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, the crisis in the ocean, turn them into local stories that people can really relate to. Because I think. Traditionally, a lot of the coverage was rather abstract. It was rather seen rather distant. You know, it was melting ice caps and polar bears and possible storms in other parts of the world. But I think the key really is to make it more engaging. You need to show people how it's affecting them on a regular daily basis. And there's so many ways to do that. And, you know, we... I think we've developed a bunch of methodologies and tips that, that help journalists to do that.
0: Yeah, along that way, one of the things that I found very interesting over the last few years, as you know, as we're dealing sort of with the weather is changing in in North America, for example, and that you know you you have you're having more large storms, more flooding, there are all these other issues, and you know the the local journalists are covering them in the ways that they would any disaster, but I'm beginning to see more context given to these types of stories we're saying well the reason why the you know we're having storms like this or the reason why we're having droughts is this is all sort of connected to the climate change and it's people taking advantage of those opportunities you know these obviously terrible things that are going on but you know that's part of the story is you know why it's important to address climate change is because it's going to impact everybody you know we're already seeing signs of it so speaking of climate change let's talk a little about the conference the climate change conference in glasgow we're talking here sort of toward the end of october and actually when this is going to air or when this is going to be published online the conference will be going on first of all what is this partnership with the, Sc- the scotsman what was the thinking with that okay again
1: let me go back a bit because um these conferences are really important they're basically global negotiations about how we as a planet, as a human civilization are gonna try and tackle this huge problem. So we, we had introduced through our climate change media partnership. We've been bringing journalists to these COPs since 2007. So actually I covered my first COP back, COP two back, what was that 1996? And then we'll cover the Kyoto Summit. You may recall the Kyoto Summit, which led to mm-hmm. the Kyoto Protocol back in 1997. So from what I realized back then was these are wonderful opportunities for journalists, not just, of course, to cover this very important topic and these important negotiations that are affecting all of us, but it's like a huge immersion course for journalists to learn everything and anything about climate change. There's so many amazing side events and great contacts and experts who are there. So. It's just a, w- a really wonderful opportunity, you know. Going to the cop really kind of changed my career, and I think a lot of journalists can say the same. It's just, and you know, it's not just the climate summit. There are biodiversity summits, there are ocean summits now. So these are wonderful opportunities for journalists both to increase their build their capacity and also you know get more content, get get more stories out there and displayed more prominently. So ever since two thousand seven we've been partnering with other organizations to bring journalists to the cops. First, we, we partnered with, uh, IIED, a think tank and Panos. Now we're partnering with the Stanley center for peace and security, uh, which has been very effective, very helpful in, in, in bringing and supporting the journalists to the cops. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we do a lot of activities at, the, at these summits, I, I, you know, I can go into more detail, but this, yeah, this partnership with the Scotsman is really interesting. This year we realized, you know, we're bringing these journalists from low and middle income countries, from Asia, Africa, Middle East, Latin America, and, and we're going to these, you know, huge efforts to overcome all the travel restrictions to bring them to, to Glasgow. Um, and they, um, you know, and we thought we also realized this is a great opportunity to link up with local media again in the in Scotland, uh, the Scotsman. I believe it's the largest newspaper in in Scotland, and uh, so we've set up a partnership with them where uh, our our fellows, our journalist fellows, will write stories for uh, for the paper, so that its audience can learn about how climate change. Is affecting other parts of the world, and what what's being done in those parts of the world, what how those how the issue is viewed elsewhere, and ultimately, I think they'll they'll also produce some stories. The, the Scotsman will run some stories from the journalists during the COP as well, covering from covering the negotiations. So it's really a great opportunity, just to bring journalists from different countries together and to learn from each other.
0: You know, was talking about climate change in in North America, and obviously there are political hurdles that are around uh, climate change for a lot of different reasons. But for some of these other nations, you know, in Africa and in Asia, are there other hurdles that were not sort of that to bring these types of stories to people's awareness?
1: You know, especially in in many countries where it can be dangerous to report on these issues physically physically dangerous, personally dangerous. I mean, you get threats, you get attacks, and fortunately, every year we see journalists killed for covering not just climate change, but other environmental issues, especially issues like logging and mining and so on, illegal trafficking. Now, I will say it's even more dangerous to be an environmental activist. So yes, there are lots of obstacles, but this, first of all, the physical safety can be an issue, not, not everywhere, but in many places. But even beyond that, I mean, it just takes a lot of time and effort and often money and, and expertise to do these issues. I mean, you often have to travel quite a bit. You, maybe you're based in a capital city or a major city and, you know, you a lot of this time the stories are out in the countryside or in some remote area where, you know, which may not be very accessible or at least is expensive to get to and maybe, again, may dangerous to travel. And so, you know, I, I saw that from my, from my own reporting in Southeast Asia. So it takes a lot of effort and time and expertise and resources to do a good job covering these stories. And I want to stress the time, too, because these are not simple issues. You know, you want to do good enterprise reporting, good in-depth or investigative journalism. Uh, it doesn't even have to be, you know, in quote, unquote, investigative. It's just original and enterprise reporting that really gets into an issue you need time and a lot of, and these days frankly a lot of journalists they're asked to produce stories every day you know they're they're on a beat and they you know it's hard to get that that time and those resources to do the job properly
0: so what would you encourage i mean we we have people who listen to this podcast actually all over the world obviously a lot of people in the us and and, and europe listen to it for journalists who listen to this who you know, wants to write an environmental story, they, you know, maybe they work at a, like their local news site or a magazine or something, you know, what, what would you recommend to them is, you know, how they should prepare themselves and identify stories about the environment that they could be writing in their communities?
1: Okay. Well, there's, that would be, it's obviously, we obviously encourage that a lot. So first of all, of course, you gotta, you know, understand the issue, study the issue. I mean, like, any journals on any topic you need to, you wanna find kind of an original story or original angle that is appealing. And of course, the thing about climate change and other environmental issues is there's so many different angles to come from. So I think that's one thing is first of all, think outside the box a little. Climate change, it's not just an environment story. It's not even just a science story. It's a health story. It's a legal story. It's a political story, business story, finance, social story, a, a justice story. You know, it affects food, it affects travel, it affects everyday life, it affects you know gardening, uh, affects you know it affects your money, it affects your wallet. So you know, come up with different angles, especially if you're running into obstacles. Like a lot of journalists, frankly, they complain that their editors. Or their producers are not so interested in climate change. They find it, you know, their their supervisors find it, they're boring or complicated or whatever. So there are so many different ways you can approach a story. You know, look for different ways, and then you know you got to make sure you you want to make sure you understand the issue, and that is easier to do these days than ever. You got the whole, you've got a lot of resources online, not just from the Earth Journalism Network, from many excellent organizations. Once you have your story idea, the good thing these days is now there's so many opportunities to get support. And I'm talking money, financial support to do your stories. And certainly encourage encouraged journalists to check out our website, earthjournalism.net. At any given time, we've got lots of opportunities available for stories on certain topics or certain regions. Right now we're doing, so we got an open call for stories by journalists from Ecuador to do reports on fisheries issues, especially around the Galapagos. But that's just one example. We have stories, we have opportunities for indigenous journalists, for journalists from East Africa, from all over Asia, from the Pacific. And so definitely check out our website at earthjournalism.net. But we are far from alone these days. There are so many excellent organizations offering similar you know, grants, funds, fellowships to do these stories on all different topics. And I think it's really, it's really been a blessing. It's, it's, it's been, it's been so crucial because as we know, the market has not been kind to the news media business, but I think more and more we're seeing the nonprofit world step in and through these intermediary organizations uh, offering lots of opportunities and, you know, resources and not just, not just tip sheets or advice, but actual money to do these stories, and that has been really crucial, and has been great to see, frankly.
0: Yeah, one of the nice things about about journalists, uh, pretty much all the journalists that I know, the the good ones, they want to write stories, they want to cover things that are going to make change in the world and make things better, and you know, I think as more and more people become aware, certainly of, of climate change, the concerns around that, but just a lot of the, the impacts of uh, you know, in the environment, pollution and things, I'm thinking of the, you know, the water situation that they had in Detroit, I guess they're probably still having it to some degree, that how these things sort of impact you. That the other thing that you said about the, the importance of doing these locally, these big abstract stories you know, affect everyone and everything that we do. And so you know, that's why you know, when you talk about it, sometimes it's difficult getting your, your editor interested in something you know part of it is you got to be a pitchman to to help them understand why it's important and why it's important to the people who who are reading your publication I've been talking to uh, James Fawn executive director of the Earth journalism Network about climate change and the environmental and environmental reporting James thanks for being on the podcast Thank you Michael You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music a breast help with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist and I'm your host Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.